Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are back. It is Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Hutton will be back on Monday. Kelly Stewart, Kelly in Vegas, doing a great job co-hosting for us. One hour down, two hours left. We got a lot coming up, including this hour. Sean Callahan, who does a great job covering Nebraska, is going to join us to talk about what in the world is going on at Nebraska, where suddenly the Huskers are red hot. They're back, baby. They're telling Kyle McCord, thanks, but no thanks. And they're going after the number one quarterback in America, Dylan Rayola, whose dad happens to be a big part of Nebraska football history. So we'll talk with Sean Callahan coming up a little bit later in the show. Plenty of college football transfer portal related headlines to get to you here in this segment. But first, a bit of a programming announcement. Want everyone that's an OutKick fan to know, starting January 3rd, the only place to catch OutKick's original shows will be at the website, outkick.com. So again, if you want to watch the show live, you go to outkick.com, you're going to hit uh, the watch tab, and you're going to be able to watch every show live. That doesn't mean that OutKick shows are going completely away. This one included from, from YouTube. Once the show ends, there's going to be a YouTube portion of the show. My understanding, probably the first 30 or 40 minutes of every show will be cataloged and available on YouTube. But for those that watch Every show live, or you want to watch an OutKick show live, go to the website, OutKick.com. Hit the Watch tab. That is starting January 3rd, 2024, by the way, for those confused. Not 2025, not a year from now, just a few weeks from now, January 3rd, 2024, OutKick.com slash watch. And remember, you can still shop for all things OutKick right now at the OutKick store as well. Kelly's on with us. Uh, Kelly... Help me out here on this story where uh, there's an injunction that's taking place. So there's like a two-week window where players that have been held up by the NCAA with a second transfer can now play. But now the NCAA in a questionnaire from schools is saying it's a frequently asked questions deal. They're saying, well, if they play, that also counts against their eligibility once this is over. And I'm thinking, what what is the point? What, what's going on? They have a two-week window in college basketball where they could play for two weeks and then they go back to being ineligible. I'm having a hard time really understanding the significance of this story. What do you think about it? This is tough because I read a couple of different articles. I even tried. Now I'm not a lawyer. Very obvious that I'm not a lawyer. You're not Clay Travis, um, who, who is not, a lawyer, you know, right? That is who I should have called. I should have said, Clay, can you please make this make some sort of sense but bottom line is, when does the NCAA do anything that makes any damn sense, Chad? They don't. It is very frustrating. Um, and this only applies to, from what I understand, players that have transferred at least two times, right? So they used yeah. um, an example more, more of than current, once, right? You get, more than once. You get one freebie, right? You get one get-out-of-jail-free card. You can leave your program, go anywhere else. One time, no punishment. You do it a second time, you got to sit out a year, which was the old Correct. Rule. So that, that's but, what this eliminates that for people. But 
The NCAA is also saying this will count against their eligibility if they play in this two-week window, even though the courts are saying they can for right now. That's where I'm having a hard time following. And does this only negatively affect basketball? Because the way that the transfer portal is working in college football and when it's open, right? So, for example, there's a running back that played at Florida State. Then he went to K-State for a year. Now he's with Boston College. He's not losing a year of eligibility. But the example that they're using here is saying that a UNLV player who's now transferred twice, who had an awesome game against Creighton, in fact, I uh, was very happy to see that I took the points in that one, is allowed to play, but then he won't be allowed to play. Well, at least he helped him get that big win over Creighton uh, for UNLV, so, so good for him. That, that's the one example I've seen also of, of someone using this to their benefit. Davey Hudson is not an attorney, although he will tell you that he did attend law school. Uh, so he's the closest I, to an attorney in gra- our studio right now. Graduated law school. Graduated law school. Uh, okay. Passed the bar, did not, though, Dave. I decided to just go straight into media right after graduating yes. because I realized I didn't want to Traditional be miserable for the rest of Graduating law school, not taking the bar to instead go into media. So go ahead, Kelly. You got a question. I can tell. Yeah, no, I, I'm confused as to Davey, who paid probably close to $75,000, $80,000 to go to law school and then said, I'm not going to take the bar. I think I'd rather have a job in media. That is uh, pretty wild. It was right around 60. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, no, I, I will say real quickly, fortunate for the education. It allows me to take a lot of situations and view it differently than somebody who didn't gain that level I mean, of you, education. I, I could have given you life experience for free that would have allowed you to do that as well. well. I've, I've you would have to pay, you could pay me $60,000. And you know what? Some, he gets some to wear a Preds to jersey to work as it's, opposed to a suit. This true. is Chad's favorite clothing item that I own. It I love is it. Nice. Um, it pops, Kelly. Wouldn't you say when he comes on the screen with that Preds that, that sweater? Yellow. I love, yellow really I love pops. a good hockey sweater. It works perfectly with a Nashville sign behind him also. It's it's a good look. I'm not a jersey guy, but this is just a comfortable hoodie with the logo on the front. I'm like, all right, I'll rep it. But as it relates to Davey, by the way, not a Jersey guy in that he doesn't wear a lot of jerseys, and he's not Tommy DeVito. I just want to clarify, neither one of those type of Jersey guys. Go ahead, Davey. But no, what I was going to say is simply what the NCAA is saying in this situation is even though that 14-day TRO, the temporary restraining order, has been put in place, so you could play right now. But let's say that whenever this case, like that two weeks is up, if the ruling gets reinstated to where players that were not ineligible or that weren't eligible to play – decided to play during that two weeks, well, if the ruling stays the same, they're not going to be eligible anymore, and that two-week period would count as a season of eligibility. So they're losing that year just because they would have played what might be one, two, even three games. They would be risking an entire season if the ruling doesn't go in their favor a couple of weeks from now. So does it? Here, here's why I'm having a hard time, because they're, right now they're sitting out the year with that rule. So if they play in a game or two right now, Davey, then they can't come back for uh, two years? Does that add a year to it? Or do they just wipe away those two games they played and they're still coming back next year and it doesn't really matter, they just got a couple bonus games? Because to me, it would then start the clock after another season. So now the basketball player can't play the remainder of 2023-2024 or 2024-2025, making them a, you know, a law school grad by the time they could play again. It's true, and I mean, we could see, uh, you know, Again, the COVID year is going to be going away here soon, but but the amount of time these kids have been able to stay in school, they probably could have gotten their uh, JD, could have gone, some of them get their MBA. But but essentially, it just kind of comes down to this ruling, Chad, and I think I'm understanding your question correctly in the fact that if the ruling is you cannot 
be eligible because even though this judge in West Virginia yeah, after, this day, after the two-week restraining order, yes. they come back and say what the NCAA has done is lawful and you have to sit out that year. Then they lose another get, year. You, just, you will just lose the one year. You, okay. you won't so gain. There's, no, there's not another year that's added on after the fact. All right, I, but then the, so there's no loss at all to these guys who are playing if they just do it in the two week window. It, it, because as then long they as still the come back stays next the season. same. But but they they can. But still, if it does, you're not. I don't think you're answering my question. Okay. If it doesn't stay the same. Yes. If they play in this two week window, they'll just continue playing the rest of the season. So that if would make the, sense after the two what week Davey window. Saying. Okay, so then they'll just be ineligible next year. Correct. Yes. Okay. So they'll have to serve that year regardless. Okay, I got you. So regardless if it's in sequence or not, they have to serve that one year. Either way, if it comes back and they say the NCAA is right, you're wrong with this deal. That, I, that's my takeaway. I know we got really confused on this, but, but essentially it just comes down to what, what I think is going to happen. I, I, I don't think they risk playing the kid for these two weeks. Because if you do that and then the rule comes back and says they're ineligible – then you're, you're just losing an entire season for that kid. Whereas you could just hold off right now, not do anything and risk it. But then if they say, hey, we're going to uh, remove, like once the TRO is over with, we're going to let them play. At that point, they can finish out the rest of the season. Like Kelly mentioned, this is more for basketball students, uh, winter sports. I don't know that I'm any more uh, settled on what, what this means or not. I, I still don't know. So they're just going to keep playing even if they come back and say, you got to sit out the year. Well, now we're going to play the rest of the year, and then we'll sit out next year. Okay. Either way, they're going to sit out a year unless they come back after this two weeks and say, oh, you can, you can play now. Um, all right. I, I think I know what's going on, but maybe not. Kelly, I have a hard time following the logic of lawmakers. I, no, I don't have a hard time following the logic. What they're doing is pandering. To their constituency. I was going to say, what do you mean? They're just they're they're doing they're, things for votes. They're throwing things up against a dartboard, hoping that it sticks and they hit a bullseye so they can get votes the next time. But the latest, this is following up on Ashley Moody, the Florida district attorney, um, who is investigating or wanting to file an antitrust lawsuit against the college football playoff committee for Florida State being left out. Now, Georgia State Senator Colton Moore has decided to. Uh, basically try to force the college football playoff committee to include the Orange Bowl matchup between Florida State and Georgia in the college football playoff. Um, I'm sure they're probably going to win some votes for this, but this is also just the dumbest waste of time ever to issue a statement like this, clearly just to get the attention of showing that you're on the side of that state's favorite college football team. Am I right? Am I wrong on this? Chad, that's all it ever is. It doesn't matter if it's Biden telling kids he's going to pay off their student loans and erase student loan debt. It doesn't you matter. You have no debt and you have no debt and you have no debt. No it's, one has any it's debt. so ridiculous at this point, right? I'm looking at Colton Moore's uh, Twitter profile, right? X, excuse me, X profile right now. Rhino Wrangler, Georgia Senator District 53, Georgia Freedom Caucus Vice Chairman. The guy's got 32 32,000 followers. I'd never heard of his name before right now. I'm going to go ahead and guess that he's uh, trying to make this just like every other politician all about himself. And like you said, it's probably going to work. There's going to be next election cycle, some Georgia fans that are going to remember this and they're going to go, yeah, that was the guy. He had our back because he's throughout his whole um, letter, which mind you, he tagged Kirk Herbstreet, the SEC, the ACC, the NCAA, 
Governor DeSantis, Scott for Florida, Brian Kemp, GA, the governor of Georgia, ESPN, Feinbaum is even tagged in this tweet. I mean, (laughs) this whole letter is hilarious because it's basically stating like, Here's what you're getting from the SEC championship. If you take off the SEC championship, it's basically saying the Georgia Bulldogs won 29 straight games, the longest winning streak in 20 years in NCAA. And he's talking about how uh, Kirby Smart won back-to-back national championships. All of these, these items as to why all they had to do was win the SEC championship game and we wouldn't be having this conversation. And in fact, all uh, Auburn had to do was make a defensive play on fourth and 31. I mean, we could go round and round and round and beat our, beat our heads against the wall, trying to say that some teams should got, should have got in. Well, you know how you get in, you win your football games. Um, you're, you're right about that. And uh, look, we're doing exactly what this guy wants and talking about it and covering him. So I'll, I'll raise my hand and say, I'm guilty of paying this attention, but I do like the actual post on X that he had. People of Georgia demand the NCAA and college football playoff include Orange Bowl and the college football playoff. Georgia versus Florida State. UGA is in the top four teams in the USA. And as you mentioned, everyone that he referenced and, and, and tagged in that. This guy is thinking, I'm going to ride this controversy about Georgia not getting in all the way to the governor's mansion. Uh, and, you know, maybe it works out for him. Maybe it doesn't. I do laugh, though. He mentioned Kirk Herbstreit. Kirk Herbstreit is gone the, the far extreme way now of just lighting Florida state on fire and saying, and Listen, Florida back. state fans, you're not good enough. Here's the bottom line. You're not as good as Texas, as Alabama, as Georgia, just going down the list. The only thing, and I, I think Kirk Street's very good at what he does. Smart guy, good football guy. I'm just uncomfortable Kelly with the notion that Kirk Street needs to be the one to be the decider or anyone else of, what Florida State will be in the playoff, right? I I just want you to talk about what they accomplished throughout the season and if that's worthy of it, right? We can all sit here. You do it for a living, right, with what you do with with sports betting. I get it. We can all sit here and try to make projections, but we really don't know. Like, Florida State had to overcome a lot, and they've got maybe the best defense in the country. And you still have to play the game. Thank you. And they've got the best defense in the country. They got the best. You know, it's a, it's an absolute travesty. I would have loved to have seen Jordan Travis in there, Florida State in the football playoff, and then we could have really seen it. It, it. it is a real unfortunate event, but this happens to teams year in and year out, right? Not everybody has a good backup quarterback. And in fact, there was a really good shot that Florida State could have lost to Florida and we wouldn't even have been having this conversation. And that's where it gets really difficult because we can play out these what ifs, these scenarios, but at the end of the day, you have to win your football games. I I got Texas uh, X very mad at me again today. I said in October, I said, you guys deserve to, you'd be one of the four teams in the college football playoff. What did I do? Oh, I'm sorry. I bet against you when Malik Murphy was your quarterback for three weeks in a row. Okay. It is what it is, but they still won their football games. Outside of that Oklahoma game, which is a big-time rivalry game, and we bailed out the SEC for years saying, well, that early loss doesn't hurt. They bailed out Alabama with it again because Alabama won the SEC championship game. I am a little indifferent here with Barrett. I actually am probably the only person on the planet that likes Michigan, but we one could argue Alabama from that USF game to that SEC championship game is a completely different team. No, they are. And I'm, Michigan's favorite still, right? So you're not the oh, yeah. only one who, who feels that way. But 
Well, it, it the does bookmakers feel are like, taking Bama bets hand over fist. Don't well, let them convince you otherwise. And also, I feel like every analyst that covers the sport believes it's going to be Alabama, Texas for the national championship and not the one and two seeds in this playoff. So I do agree with you there. Are you getting a lot of hookums right now? You know, how do you like us now, oh. Kelly? Because you bet against them in the middle of the season with a backup quarterback. I, Is that I, why you people know, are mad? Fa- Fans, including myself, I've went on a couple of rants on this show over the past couple of weeks. Fandom makes you do crazy things. Uh, I do not hate any team. I might hate them on Saturday evening if they didn't cover or went outright for me or they lose on a crazy pick six. That might get me angry for the week. But then we move on and I digress and I'm on to another team that I'm betting against or betting on for the following week. That's the life of a sports better. You got to have a short term memory. I thought you had moved on from the K-State stuff, and then I saw you post something last night reposting someone else, and I was like, I'm not moved on. Kelly's, Kelly's back. I, I was excited. Like, this is the passion I want to see. She's right back in the mix. She's ready to fight people. That's exactly what we want. Hey, Nebraska's ready to fight some people. First time maybe in a decade. First time since Bo Pelini. They're ready to fight. They're ready to win right now. They're doing whatever it takes, pulling out all the stops. Sean Callahan from Husker Online with the On3 Network will join us next to discuss. We're back. Hot mic across the Outkick Network. Chad Withrow in studio. Downtown Nashville, 6th and Peabody Studio. With Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer, Jonathan Hutton's going to be back on Monday. Kelly Stewart doing a fantastic job filling in for him. In the meantime, joined us yesterday, joining us today as well. And uh, I think back next Friday, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now uh, we are joined by someone from kind of Kelly's uh, neck of the woods. She's from Kansas. Sean Callahan is in Lincoln, Nebraska, covering the Nebraska Cornhuskers for uh, the On3 Network, Husker Online. Sean on with us right now. Sean, busy time to be someone on that Nebraska beat with everything going on. How you doing? It's great to be on, guys. Happy Friday to you guys. And, you know, we joke, this is the off-season capital of the world. Nebraska hasn't won a lot of games during the regular season, but they they kind of find a way every year to make it interesting in the off-season. And, and this week, it we all thought it was Kyle McCord. You know, he's here in town on his visit. And then out of nowhere, Dylan Riola kind of shows back up in the picture. I used the analogy. It was kind of like Kyle McCord is in town to get married. He had the wedding all lined up. And then Dylan Riola was the girl you've been chasing for four years. <laughs> but all of a sudden show, showed up to town and said, wait a minute, I want to marry you now. And it, it really has pivoted the quarterback conversation at Nebraska. Dylan Riola did get into Nebraska this weekend. Uh, he got in today. Uh, so that is that, I mean, he's a household name in Nebraska and his, obviously his father played here. His uncle is the offensive line coach. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, angles here at Dylan Riola in Nebraska. Yeah. Runaway bride, uh, for sure. For this past weekend, your audio sounds terrific, by the way, big fan of uh, good audio and, uh, you sound great. Just wanted to, to point that out, um, with Riola, right. We know about the family allegiances to, to Nebraska and the tie-ins there. So that part of it does make sense. He committed to Georgia a while back, and that was a big story when it happened. Did Matt Rule and his staff ever stop? What has been the pursuit for this Nebraska staff with Riola even after he committed to Georgia? Well, the pursuit has been his uncle. His uncle, Donovan Riola, was hired by Scott Frost. Um, and, you know, in the back of everyone's mind, they're like, all right, this is going to be a natural end with Dominic Riola and Dylan Riola. You have Donovan Riola as the offensive line coach. Only one coach was retained by Matt Rule from the Scott Frost coaching staff. 
and it was Donovan Riola. Uh, well, Donovan Riola, his group played really well this year. They had an improved season. The guys got better. Uh, he got a new contract raise, $175,000 raise this year after the way his guys played. Uh, and the Riolas were in town for a game. They came for the Michigan game um, back on September 29th, but nobody really thought much of it because um, they've been coming as a family to see Donovan and you go, oh, this is another Donovan visit. But I think in the back of their mind, uh, they still always loved Nebraska. They wanted it to work with Nebraska, uh, but no Nebraska fan was ever going to question him committing first to Ohio State or Georgia because of their history with the quarterback position and where those programs are at. But um, I, I just think a few factors have kind of worked into Nebraska's favor and possibly the opportunity to start here as a true freshman is now out there for D D uh, Dylan Riola. So, Sean, looking at the quarterback situation, <clears throat> if Riola is, in fact, in with Nebraska, is it a no-brainer that he is the perceived starter in, in year one as a freshman? We know about the quarterback troubles this past year. Or is there someone else that could possibly start for this team? Well, Chubba Purdy is here, and that's the brother of Brock Purdy, and he came on late, uh, played three games, and that was the best the offense probably looked all season. Jeff Sims is in the portal. And, you know, that was wild. When you think about Jeff Sims, he came here as the anointed guy from the portal a year ago. I mean, he had a fast food restaurant that gave him his own combo meal. It was the Jeff Sims combo. It came with a soft taco and a crisp meat burrito. And that, that lasted for a few weeks. And he had a tractor deal with John Deere and all, all these major NIL deals. Uh, they brought him to Big Ten Media Days, and it just did not work. Jeff Sims... Uh, failed, so they had to go to an in-state guy named Heinrich Harburg, and he won five games as a starter, uh, but was limited as a thrower. The offense was limited with him in there, but he still figured out a way to win five games. Then he got nicked up, and that's when Cheva Purdy got his opportunity, uh, but could not win or close the deal against Maryland, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Um, so, the, you know, Purdy and Harburg are going to be here still, more than likely, um, and then they will bring in potentially another freshman, Daniel Kaland, who was an Elite 11 quarterback, and this poor kid has had to play bridesmaid to Dylan Riola from the beginning. Uh, they offered Daniel Kalen way back as a freshman. Then Dylan Riola showed up to camp and they offered him. And then Dylan Riola became their number one target. Daniel Kalen, a local guy, commits to Missouri, um, decommits from Missouri when Dylan Riola picks Georgia. Well, now Dylan Riola is back in the picture for Nebraska. Daniel Kalen is at Michigan State this weekend uh, visiting East Lansing and the Spartans. So uh, definitely a lot of moving parts with the quarterback room and what it could possibly look like here in January. Sean, That's pretty funny. Sean oh, sorry, Callahan Chad, is with – no, you're good. Sean Callahan with On3, Husker Online. You can follow him on X at Sean underscore Callahan. Kelly, go away. Yeah, we laughed uh, earlier in a segment about how much I supposedly hated Texas. People don't realize Nebraska is the only team I ever hated as a K-State <laughs> kid. Hello. Uh, no, all jokes aside, uh, excited to see what Matt Rule's able to do in his second year in Nebraska. Kind of what are you hearing um, out of Lincoln? Are fans happy with them? You know, I have a lot of Nebraska fan fans that I would call good friends that are just kind of down in the dumps, right? They need some positivity. It's been pretty much a rough stretch since Bo Pelini left. And even before then, since the retirement of Tom Osborne, kind of give them something positive to look forward to next year. Well, Dylan Riola, I mean, I think after the way the season ended at five and seven, you're like, man, how are they going to sell this off season? How are they going to raise money for NIL? How is Trev Alberts going to possibly raise the money he needs for a $450 million stadium project? 
uh, because of the way the year ended. And by the way, the Big Ten adds four really good teams next year, um, and the Big Ten West is gone. Um, so there was a lot there, but I think just the momentum of Dylan Riola and the fact that so many players are going to come back off this team, uh, they are going to lose a few guys, um, but a bulk of the guys that had decisions to make because of the COVID year are going to return. And you look at the schedule, guys. Look at the first seven games of Nebraska's 2024 schedule. Um, it's a manageable way to start out. Um, compared to this year, they had to open up on the road, back-to-back games at night on national television um, at Minnesota, then big noon kickoff for Deion Sanders' first home game. So I do think it sets up a little bit better for Nebraska out of the gates. Um, they've had to open with a Power 5 road game um, every single year um, since 2020, I believe. So um, it will be nice for Nebraska to finally open up with a more manageable schedule, kind of build a team with versus starting out 0-1, 0-2. And a, a place like Nebraska, when you start 0-1, 0-2, uh, the alarm bells kind of get going right away. And, and you know, there, there's just a big spotlight on this program, as you know, being from Kansas. I do. And there's a big spotlight here uh, just north of where I'm currently residing. And that is on the Nebraska Cornhuskers volleyball team. Yeah. I made the joke about Texas and that's who they're actually facing tonight. They're a slight favorite uh, about minus 160. I know maybe gambling isn't your forte, but I got to know, do you have any insight? Because I'm definitely betting this volleyball match tonight and maybe even a little bit with Huskers minus one and a half sets. My Kansas State Wildcats did sweep Texas. I think Nebraska can do the same tonight. Yeah, it's actually Sunday. They'll play two o'clock on ABC national televised game, but um, huge game. And I, I like the matchup for Nebraska. Wisconsin was the one that all Husker fans feared. Uh, they've had John Cook's number. Um, they've only beat him one time over the last few years. Um, Texas is just a better matchup. It's a newer matchup. Uh, they are Nebraska's loaded. I mean, they have, they don't have a single senior on that team. And they return a lot of these uh, girls will come back, obviously, next year. Uh, and John Cook, I mean, he's the the Coach K of college volleyball. I mean, he is just a master of building teams, building chemistry. Uh, they've got a freshman named Harper Murray, who is just outstanding, um, you know, and, and what she's brought in. A lot of great veteran players. Uh, funny enough, one of Texas's better back row players is Kinale Akana, and she was a Husker. Uh, but she had to leave Nebraska because of the COVID scholarship numbers. Um, and they were going to give her an NIL type scholarship. She didn't like that transferred to Texas. Her brother's a linebacker at Texas, but uh, there's a little bit of kind of crossover between these two rosters because of one of their former better players now plays for Texas and they'll match up on Sunday. Well, how much of, of Matt rule and the challenge he's facing, Sean, and I, I'm married to a Nebraska fan uh, who, who's from Nebraska. And, and we talk about this all the time, getting that team to believe they can win and to understand how to win because how many times over the years has Nebraska found interesting and complex ways to lose football games late All right. it feels like every coach inherits that and I can't quite put my finger on it as to how that happens where's your wife from by the way she is from Tilden uh just outside Tilden. of Norfolk Nebraska yeah okay northeast Nebraska all right yep, uh, northeast you talk about learning how to win and that that that's you're right. I mean, this is a roster of a lot of guys that have been close. Uh, you go back to 2021. They had a great Michigan team on the ropes. They had the ball to beat Michigan in the last few minutes of the game. They fumbled the ball in that game. And I mean, they've had a lot of games like that where they played Ohio State tight before. I mean, they've played Iowa tight several times. They played Wisconsin tight. 
and, and, and just that killer edge that get to finish out a game. I think it starts with the quarterback play. Um, they, they need to have the right guy at quarterback um, to execute and make those plays down the stretch. Uh, Matt rule got them pretty close this year. I mean, this was a five win team that probably should have won seven or eight games. Um, you know, you, you look at three of three of their losses four of their losses. They all could have gone Nebraska's way. Thir- they had three losses this year, guys, by a score of 13 to 10. All of them were losses off last second field goals. So um, they are that close and they've got the schedule again, at least for the first seven games of the year to build up some momentum before they take on teams like UCLA, USC, Ohio State, Iowa, et cetera, down the stretch. Is the thought also that by landing Riola, uh, he's going to start recruiting uh, himself, basically, the way he was with that Georgia class, that you get a quarterback to that level and suddenly recruits will follow, transfers will follow? Is that the hope for this Nebraska program? Yeah, I don't know if they can do a lot for 2024. As you know, a lot of the hay is in the barn. The dead period starts Sunday. Prospects will sign on Wednesday. Um, but with that said, I mean, there's a definitely been a few visitors like uh, Dylan Williams, uh, a top 100 level linebacker from Long Beach Poly. He's committed to Oregon. He's in Lincoln now this weekend. And I don't know if Dylan Riola affected that, uh, but the Riolas wave a big stick. They have a lot of reach um, and Dylan Riola's Rolodex is very deep. So um, I, I think that is something, at least for the next year or two, they will capitalize on. And like I said, I don't know if it'll be for the 2024 class, but I think for 2025, you might see that Riola, if, if they get Riola, let's assume they get him first, uh, have some impact in future recruiting. What is the Nebraska perspective on the additions to, to the Big Ten? Now that Nebraska was sort of, you know, in no man's land for a while geographically within the conference, now you've got teams, four teams coming in from the West Coast also. How does Nebraska view those teams entering the conference? I think most fans are really excited. Um, you know, I've I've been to games in all four of those venues with Nebraska at Oregon, um, at, at Washington, and then USC and UCLA. And every one of those games Nebraska's played out there, they've traveled 25,000 or more fans. Um, so those are places Nebraska fans love to travel to. Um, and I'll be honest, some of these places in the Big Ten, they're not exactly great travel destinations. It's hard to get to West Lafayette. It's hard to get to Champaign. Um, you know, it's hard even to get to Madison. You got to drive. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of excitement for Nebraska fans to make a West Coast trip. Like I look at the schedule. I believe it's November 16th. They're at USC. I'm like, great. Pack the shorts and go to California in late November. Um, it, it will be a nice trip to get out there um, for a lot of Nebraska fans. And by the way, UCLA comes to Lincoln in November. So um, it will be interesting to see how some of these teams adapt um, to the weather because the month of November, it can be 80 degrees, 70 degrees. It could be 20 degrees in this league. You don't know what you're going to get. And for some of these new teams, like the California schools particularly, uh, the weather could be a real X factor. Got, got about a minute left. What exactly is the expectation for Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska basketball this season? Well, they play Kansas State, by the way, on Sunday um, in Bramlage, and the Huskers are 8-2. and two. Um, You know, Creighton just handed it to them. That was a tough loss. Um, the Minnesota game then was their next game. They had a 17-point lead on the Gophers at halftime. They blew it. And, you know, you kind of wonder, man, what's going to happen? They bounced back. They beat Michigan State. I think that has kind of salvaged and turned their season. And for Michigan State, they're in a really tough spot now where Tom Izzo's team's at. But I, I think that win over Michigan State has kind of restored some life where if, the, you know, this game in Bramlage, they're probably a slight underdog. Um, 
uh, heading into Sunday's matchup, which by the way is on the exact same time as the volleyball game at two. Um, so it's going to be hard for a lot of Nebraska fans to, to watch both those games. Um, but that's kind of a game. If they get that one, um, you know, they're going to be in really good shape heading into Big Ten conference play. They haven't had a record this good heading into the Big Ten in a number of years. Sean Callahan uh, with On3, the network with Husker Online. The website does a great job covering all things Nebraska Cornhuskers up there in Lincoln. Sean, really appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping hey, on with I appreciate with it. Us. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Sean Callahan. Busy time. Busy time to cover the Nebraska beat. And if they can get Dylan Riola as the number one quarterback in the country, five-star guy, other players will follow uh, eventually. Oh, as Sean said, maybe not now, Kelly, but eventually those players will follow, transfer portal or recruit. So uh, exciting time if you're a Nebraska fan. They've been through a lot, a lot of close losses, uh, a lot of losing seasons. Have not played in a bowl game since they played in the Music City Bowl in, at the end of the 2016 season. That's how long it's been since they've gone bowling at Nebraska. Crazy, crazy time to be a Husker fan. Uh, crazy, crazy experience playing for your country and playing soccer for a living, according to Megan Rapino. We'll react to her comments when we come back. This is Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. We're back, and I feel like we're going to have a hell of a time in this segment. I can already feel it. There's tension right now. Both Kelly Stewart and I are ready to react to what Megan Rapino had to say. I'm Chad Withrow. Hutton will be back on Monday. This is Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. So Megan Rapino, everyone's favorite U.S. women's national team player, um, she had some things to say about how she feels like Playing soccer for her country is the worst job in the world. And playing for the U.S. women's national team is the worst job in the world. I don't want to misquote. All right? I don't want to paraphrase here. I want to get this right before we respond to it with what Megan had to say. Uh, the headline, and now my computer is frozen, um, the headline from OutKick is Megan Rapinoe says, playing for U.S. women's national team is worst job in the world, perfectly represents the loser mentality creeping into American culture. Story written by Mark Harris, friend of ours, been a guest on this show. Quote from Rapino, and this is in the new Netflix documentary uh, series, Under Pressure, the U.S. Women's World Cup team. Quote, I always say it's the worst job in the world because if you do your job, then you were supposed to. And if you do one hair less, then you are going to get lambasted for it, Rapino said. Um, let me say this. First off, to say that playing a sport for a living is the worst job in the world is utterly ridiculous and completely lacks self-awareness for what a lot of people, men and women both, have to do for a living. Okay? Second part. That's every job, Megan. If you do your job... You move on to the next day. You move on to the next show. You move on to the next shift. No one is patting you on the back. No one's throwing a party for you. You just get to keep doing the job. And when you don't do your job, you get lambasted over it. This is not unique to you. You're not special. This is everyone who works in America. When you don't do your job, you're criticized for it. And I hate to break it to you, but when you do, you're not being told, good job, way to go. You get to go do the job again the next day, and you did your job that day, and you can go drink a beer, drink a bourbon, drink whatever you want at that night to celebrate the job you did that day personally. 
That's how you work. That's what you do. Kelly, this is just another example to me of of Megan Rapinoe being very much out of touch with reality in a lot of ways. She's been out of touch for a very long time, probably at least the last seven or eight years. That being said, I have a couple of questions. One, why are we still giving this woman the attention she so desperately seeks? I would love to just opt out of the segment and say, you know what? I'm going to take an extra long commercial break because I do not want to give this person one ounce of my power uh, and in terms of my emotions. But then on the flip side, Chad, you nailed it. Did, did her mom not tell her how proud she was of her as a little girl enough? Does, does she need all of America to somehow, like you said, tell her every single day how great she is. I really don't understand the arrogance. I don't understand the attitude. I get to do every single day for a living, something that I love. And oh, by the way, I get paid for it. Somebody wants to give me money to do something that I love. Megan, I'm gonna go ahead and guess you love soccer at some point in time. And you got paid probably more, in fact, than you probably deserved for it. So let's just say what it is. Like just, if you need attention, just say something else. There's way more outlandish things you could say for attention. Well, and look, the, the, you know, the fight for equal pay that they won, you know, mission accomplished with that. Uh, I, I was on her side and the U.S. Women's National Team side on, on the one issue of look at our success versus the men's success. Right. If you just want to do it as, hey, it's a it's a, a meritocracy here in this country. We're winning World Cups, and, and they're not even competing at the highest level of the World Cup. Now it doesn't quite work that way. It's about revenue generation and all these things. We know that ticket sales, uh, eyeballs jerseys, watching the games, jerseys, everything. all those things. And the men's game makes a lot more money, so that's why the pay was was uh, unequal. But me trying to be a fair person, like I'm willing to hear that out. I, I listen to that argument and say. They're making a good point there. They do win a lot more than the men. They probably should be rewarded for that. And even if it's not as just as much as the men, they should probably make more because they're successful. But in equal parts, I'm all for equality here. If you're going to make that argument, and I'm going to listen to you and agree with it, I certainly have the right to also criticize you when you're not winning World Cups. And when you're losing to nations you shouldn't lose to, like in this past World Cup. You can't have it both ways. So if you're going to argue that, then should, should America take money away from you when you don't do what you're supposed to do as the American women's? You had a head start with women's soccer in America, okay? This is not like the U.S. men that are way behind Europe and South America and the rest of the world when it comes to soccer for generations. Women and young girls got more opportunity in the United States to play sports. You got a big head start, and you won World Cups that head start. When you let the rest of the world catch you and you lose to countries you shouldn't lose to, you deserve to be criticized, period. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. Listen, you you nailed it when you said you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth and you got to take the good with the bad. I mean, they were sizable favorites in that game. I mean, the underdog, I think, was plus 1,100. I mean, that means you you put down... Uh, a thousand dollar bet, you're getting back 11 grand. That's not a, uh, that's not a small, you're not a small favorite here, coin flip type of game. You were expected to win that football game. And maybe they didn't because of distractions. Maybe they didn't because of arrogance. I, I, I don't understand this. 
I think if we just stop talking about some of these insufferable athletes, maybe they won't get the endorsements that they get. Maybe we won't have to hear their new Netflix special. I don't know, Chad. I have gotten to the point where I have personally tuned out their noise because I cannot bother to give them another ounce of attention that they so desperately seek. Um, Allie on the YouTube chat agrees with you, Kelly. Uh, she says, I can't wait until Rapino is gone so people can stop acting like she's the only female soccer player uh, in America and that so- somehow she's the mouthpiece of America. I, I will agree with that, uh, and that's that's a point well made. And I've long said this. I-, I try not to say, well, every woman on the U.S. women's national team is just like Megan Rapinoe. They're not. That's there not are plenty fair, yes. of them that are proud to be Americans, that love their job, that are just trying to do their best, are competitive and trying to win. I don't want to lump the whole team in with her, so I want to be respectful and make sure that we're not doing that. So that's a point well made, Kelly. And look, we now that she's no longer a part of the team, hopefully once everybody watches this documentary and that's over with, then we start to kind of turn the page on that part of it. Um, well said. And I'm going to miss Allie, and I'm going to miss the chat on YouTube also. So well said, Allie. Davey Hudson is here, and Davey has got Pick Your Poison for us. Uh, this is... Kelly, uh, if you've not played before, a list Oof. of awful decisions, and we're going to have to make a choice based on the awful decision and the choices given to us by one Davey. Uh, that we are. I would also like to add from the previous conversation, I am looking forward to 2026. Chad, you were talking about how we put the assets in women's soccer, and people are always like, why isn't the men's team better? But we're going to, the world will figure that out whenever the Olympics implement flag football. I mean, I'm just waiting for Tyreek Hill versus the Lithuanian plumber, and then they'll see why we've not been putting all our eggs in the basket of being good at soccer. Imagine how embarrassing it's going to be when the Lithuanian plumber beats Tyreek Hill at some point. Or, you know, 20 years from now, the rest of the world catches up in flag football. That's not going to happen. Well, it's flag football. It's flag football, and Tyreek Hill is the fastest player in the NFL. If there was somebody that was as fast, I mean, there's a reason why Usain Bolt is not a wide receiver in the NFL. You are. It's a, because you got to be able to take the You're being hits. an arrogant American right now, Kelly, because I thought this about basketball for years, and then I see where our Olympic basketball team can't even get into a medal round at times or can't win a gold well, medal. You just need we to get coached. We talked about this yesterday. There's a ton of Europeans. There's a lot of Australians, New Zealanders coming into the mix to play in the NBA. Uh, but flag football, come on. None it's, of these other countries play football. Let me, let me give a counter, counter argument to what you're saying. It's flag football, not American tackle football. If this was American tackle football, I would absolutely agree with you. It would be a generation or two before any country could even compete with Americans at American football, no doubt. But there is going to be a nation that does nothing but this year-round every (laughs) single day. And we are going to put NFL players in a position where they're not playing tackle football, which they are paid millions to play, and we are going to get our ass beat by someone uh, who does it every single day and knows the flag game better. They're better at grabbing flags because they do it all the time. We're not tackling anymore anyway. I'm telling you, we're going to have to employ flag-only players at some point. They're going to be good athletes, but that's how we're going to compete with the world. you heard it here first. That's, it's not the same as playing tackle think, football. What's the over-under in how many years? 25? Uh, look, I think if, they've, if another country goes all in on this and gets really good athletes to only do flag football and we're putting our NFL stars Which country? It, it could be 10 years be? where they do it. 
I, I'm I mean, thinking of a country that better have some really stud athletes. Brazil. Really fast. I mean, it could be a lot okay. of different countries that you could just get. I mean, take but these why population would centers. Go all in on flag football when they have soccer? Because they want to beat America. That's why. That that is why someone's going to go all in on it and be better yeah. at flag football than us. And that's fair. And I and God bless them for trying. This is a this is going to be a longer topic we'll have at some point when we're getting ready for it. But I, did, I see possible problems if we're playing tackle football, then putting our tackle football players in flag, and there's someone who just does flag football all the time. And it's going to look weird when they get out there and they're not used to that game. Anyway, Davey, go ahead with the first question. Certainly. So, uh, actually, keeping in line with the NFL, somebody named Brandon Staley, who somehow has had a job for a long time, no longer has that job as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. And it made me thinking, what are the worst ways to get fired if you're an NFL coach? And so your options for today on pick your poison, you get left on a tarmac, a la Lane Kiffin. Uh, you just get fired on the field in front of all the fans. You, you don't, Obviously, the fans aren't hearing that conversation, but they know what's happening. And then the third option is you get fired in front of your team in the locker room, just in front of all of them to hear that conversation. Kelly, you go ahead. Yeah, Dave, you have to ask. How come uh, it annou- being announced on social media before you found out in real life That's a good uh, hasn't happened yet? It's because we've seen it be- between like players finding out that they're getting traded and they're going, wait, what? I haven't even heard from my agent or a coach yet. I'm surprised we haven't had a coach get found out on social media that he's been fired uh, before the other things. But if I have to pick between your three, I think getting fired on the tarmac has got to really suck. I mean, you're like, uh, do how do I get home? Am I allowed back on the plane? Do I have to go take a commercial flight? How does this work? Do I need to charter a jet home? I mean, that to me would be probably the worst option. You get fired on the field. Like you said, nobody really hears it, but they kind of have an idea. It's pretty embarrassing. In the locker room, maybe if your players are maybe cheering for your uh, your firing or very quiet. Uh, that would also be very uncomfortable. But being left on the tarmac, man, that's got to be tough. See, I, I, would, I would actually choose getting fired on the tarmac over the other ones. I think getting fired on the field, worse. Getting fired in front of your team or where they can hear it, worse. I like the idea of the tarmac because it's probably just me with the owner. And then I get to go just be by myself. Because if Brandon Staley, for example. Go, go beware, though. You're going to go hang go, out in the airport? I'm going to go rent a car. Uh, hear me out. I'm gonna, if I'm in Vegas and I'm Brandon Staley, I'm going to rent a car, and I get to spend four and a half hours by myself, talking to family or whoever, driving home, not having to face my team, not having to get on a plane and face the guys that just lost 63-21, to 21, knowing I'm going to get fired, and I get to contemplate my next move and process everything. I'd rather be so you're saying you wouldn't enjoy yourself? You wouldn't go buy yourself a nice steak dinner at midnight in Vegas and uh, I'd, I'd just go to the spa the next day? I'd, I mean, but eventually, Vegas. eventually, yes, but I'd, I'd probably sulk for a little while. I just wouldn't want to be around people. I'd want to be in a car by myself driving. So I'd, I'd like to get fired on the Now, if you're across the country, Kelly, to your point, that's a different issue. I, I don't know that I'm going to rent a car and, and travel across the country via car. Just for like four days by yourself, f- taking Route 66 all the way home. That would not be ideal. But to me, it's just I wouldn't want to be around my team when it happened. So any option where I'm not around them is probably the better option for me. Davey, I'm um, just thinking back. I know we're close on time. It's just I just remember, again, being a Tennessee fan, obviously there was that love-hate relationship with Lane Kiffin for a long time. And when Pat Haddon got him and 
fired, like got him off the plane. It's just like, you're done. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's tough. It's tough. I would just want to be alone. Giannis Antetokounmpo really wanted a game ball. Uh, this is crazy. You thought Patrick Mahomes had an insane reaction to some bad officiating? Wait till you see Giannis when he didn't get that game ball. That's coming up next. <laughs> 